Hello and welcome to the SCU Buzz podcast. Now, this episode, we are lucky enough to have the audio from the NADOC panel discussion webinar with the theme, Heal Country, Heal Our Nation. This was recorded on Wednesday, the 14th of July for NADOC week. Um, And Heal Country, the theme there, calls for stronger measures to recognise, protect and maintain all aspects of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and heritage. Uh, This episode was joined with elders and community members as they shared stories of culture and connection to country, what country means to them and Aboriginal communities, and how do we look after and heal country. So enjoy the NADOC panel discussion webinar that happened on Wednesday the 14th of July from 12pm to 1.30pm with the theme Heal Country, Heal Our Nation. Okay, welcome everybody. Um, I'm glad you're um, participating in our NADOC webinar, which is on the topic of Heal Country and Heal Our Nation. And um, But we first might do a welcome to country. Uncle Des. Thank you, Rod. Um, because I've got uh, ties on, on the two areas that uh, we cover, uh, the North Coast, uh, the Gumbangu people and uh, the Bundjalung people, um, I'd like to, on, on their behalf, welcome the panel, firstly, to this uh, webinar and this part of the country and uh, all of those looking in to this webinar, I welcome you here too on behalf of the, uh, the Gombangu people and the Bantalong people. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. As you know, there's, we as <clears throat> Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people um, are very passionate about our country and our connections. And that's so what we've done here at Guinnabee is put together a panel of people who have a lot of knowledge about their areas. And, um, and, and we'll make this a very interesting subject to talk about. And, and, you know, when you talk about hill country, well, you know, there's many facets to that, which I'm sure a lot of those facets will be um, spoken about today. So what I might do is get um, um, everyone to introduce themselves um, and that, so you have a bit of a background of yourself. So might start with Uncle Des. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping to come in last. All right. But, uh, never mind. Um, I've been tied up with the, with the land council system ever since it began. And uh, it's, it has a very strong hold on my conscience. Uh, but I've been in, uh, I've been in a, uh, the role of a commissioner in, in ATSIC. Um, but going further back, I, I, uh, when I left school, I went straight into a, uh, an apprenticeship with Qantas and became a uh, Qantas um, aircraft maintenance engineer. And uh, I spent time with, with Qantas and Hawker de Havilland. 
and I came back home. Uh, well, came back to Tweed, and I've been here ever since. Um, did a lot of things after I got out of the workforce, the Sydney workforce. Um, but I, when ATSIC came around, I became a, an ATSIC commissioner. I spent two terms doing that. And that introduced me to a, a lot of people right around Australia. And uh, it introduced me to uh, the uh, legal system where, uh, uh, where we were representing a lot of uh, our people who were getting in trouble with the, with the law. Um, we didn't bring any justice into the area because that, that was the courts were supposed to do that, but they didn't do that very well. Um, we tried to, but couldn't have any impact on the deaths in custody. But uh, a, lot of good, a lot of good things were done with the Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, but the, um, the Land Council is my uh, passion. It allows us to do a lot of things uh, with local shire councils. And, uh, and that only operates in New South Wales, by the way, not in any of the other parts of the country. Our, um, the act that covers us or the, the, the land council is a uh, New South Wales government act. And uh, it's gradually introducing us through our own work and lobbying, introducing us to the shire councils around New South Wales. Um, once, we, once you break that barrier, then it opens up the country to uh, sites work and, and discovery of new sites. And it allows that uh, the sites to be uh, protected in a, in a better way. And it links us up with National Parks and Wildlife Service. Um, we tend to have to give them a bit of an elbow because they, they're, they're pretty quiet. They're not, as, they're not as tough as they should be on, on people who desecrate Aboriginal sites. But I've been in touch with uh, people up in Darwin, uh, which is where my son-in-law comes from, the Tiwi Islands, and, uh, and Tasmania, me. Uh, my good mate Rodney Dillon from down there. Um, we talk about Aboriginal sites down there, uh, which is good. It, uh, it spreads the talk around the countryside. Uh, and it links into language. Uh, but that's, that's Michael's area. I, I'll leave that to him. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a good... I was going to say I've, I've had a good run. <laughs> I'm still going. Okay, that's me. Thanks, Uncle Des. I might just introduce myself. I'm Rod Williams. I currently lecture at uh, Southern Cross uh, University. Um, 
and part of the Guinnabee uh, group. And um, my background is business. I decided quite young that I'd go into business. So I've worked um, in, the, in the NT Confederation with the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I've worked um, in the um, funds management area with National Mutual Funds Management. And um, I've um, worked for the mining industry with Normandy Mining and across all those areas. But then I came back and set up my own business company called Goinkin Consultancy, which is now um, 28 years old. And um, and I've developed what I call a the Goinkin business model, which brings in a whole lot of aspects of culture, um, environment, social issues, and, and economically. So, um, they're the areas, but I've been quite passionate about the business area. And uh, I suppose one of the things I'll touch on in the future is, is heritage and mining and, and how the financiers should be also looking at how they fund projects. And if you're a major shareholder of a corporation, what should you be considering at the moment in, in this space of healing country, caring for country. So, um, yeah, so mine's very much a business background. So, Uncle Micklo. Yeah, I, I live at Nambucca Heads. I grew up on the Mish at Bellwood there. Next door was on the right was Auntie Jess, Des's mum. On the left of me was Uncle Pompey Marshall, my mother's brother. And next to him was uh, uh, Uncle Walter Jarrett, my uh, father's brother. And then up the road was my grandmother's brother, Uncle Harry Buchanan. So I grew up, I grew up on that mish in Nembaka. And, uh, you know, uh, I am the chairperson now of the Murabai Language Centre, which is situated on the Aboriginal mission, or Bellwood Mission in Nembaka, which was a Catholic church. So I grew up there, and there was uh, Aboriginal elders who spoke fluent Goombang here. Um, I had to go back and learn my language again back in 1997 at Murabai with uh, Gura Williams, Gary Williams. And uh, that's where my journey started, beginning of the knowledge that uh, comes with language about protecting country and how Aboriginal people looked at land and looked at the animals and looked at the spirits of the land. So with the language come the, come the knowledge of caring for the country. And um, I am uh, one of five people in New South Wales they have, uh, there's five language nests. One is in Radjuri country, Gamilaroi country, Banjalang country, and Barkindji country, and Gumbangiyar country. So my job now is to train people uh, to go in and teach this language and culture in schools. And um, you know, not only yeah, the stories and the songs and stuff like that, uh, I also am spearheading two protests that are going on in the Nimbaka State Forest. One is at Newry, Newry State Forest and one is in the, uh, the Nimbaka State Forest. So, uh, you know, the, they go in and log our land and they don't, they don't even ask permission to go into the country yeah. and they just go in there and the koalas down this way are endangered. So we're trying to get a, a national koala park. And 
but we, you know, we just got to go in there and show presence and say, hey, you know, stop chopping down our forest. It's our land. Talk to me. Thanks, Uncle Um, Uncle Bruce, down in Ewan country, down south, all the rest of us sitting around here, we're all gories. <coughs> so we got this Ewan fellow <laughs> on the screen with us too. Uncle Bruce. We're, um, uh, we're Ewan uh, Bunrong, Tasmanian, and um, I'm on Ewan country here on the Wallagra River. So on the very southern edge of uh, Ewan country. And um, uh, this farm, uh, we um, grow all the old Aboriginal foods here from this area that we know about. And uh, we don't know them all. Um, and we're learning all the time. And we've got four Ewan people out there working in the garden today. I'm not out there because it's too cold. But um, it's, uh, it's the, the reason that we started this was because when non-Aboriginal people get enthusiastic about anything to do with our culture, uh, often we lose it. You know, um, I've seen it with language. I've, I've seen it um, with dance, um, all cultural items and food is just another one of them. So we wanted to grow the food. We wanted to relearn what the old people had done, what they knew about these foods. And we wanted to do it culturally. We wanted to bring the spirit back to the food, uh, not treat it like a commodity. And so we, um, we often, uh, well, we're talking while we're working, but because we're, um, all but one of us here are Ewan. Uh, there's a Wiradjuri man here as well who has just come back from his father's country, actually. Um, but we're talking culture all the time. And we're looking at country um, from where we are. And we, we keep telling stories about, um, you know, the song lines. And um, we, we visit those song lines. Uh, to make sure that we're staying true to that culture. Um, but we find that enthusiasm of non-Aboriginal people for our culture of any kind, and particularly with, with the foods, doesn't translate into a benefit for us. It's like another dispossession, another invasion. And of all the money made out of Aboriginal foods in Australia, 1% of it, goes to Aboriginal people. And we try to highlight that um, because Australians need to uh, make sure that for all the enthusiasm they show for culture that it translates into benefit for our people. So that's what the farm is all about. It has to be about employment. So unless Aboriginal people benefit in terms of employment, um, from the new food industry, then we really haven't made any advance at all. Um, so all, all of our time is, um, is spent making sure that we're uh, following our cultural law, uh, looking after the earth. And these, you know, this um, panel is about heel country, like um, that great theme for this NAIDOC week. Um, and all of these plants that we're dealing with are perennial. 
we just lifted Bob and Lily out there before. Um, and we also lifted uh, uh, Chocolate Lily. And the tuber on the Chocolate Lily is as lovely a vegetable as you'll ever eat. And, um, you know, it's going to be commercial. But we have to make sure that we're in there. Um, and that I, I often think of the Yorta Yorta, um, Judge Justice Olney, funny name that isn't it, Justice Olney, um, said that uh, the Yorta Yorta people couldn't get their land back because their history, their culture had been washed away by the tide of history. And I didn't want our foods to be in that same situation. I didn't want a corporation to say to us, oh, well, you can't, you can't sell that chocolate lily anymore uh, because we own that. Uh, you know, we, some food company, we own that. So we're involved with that. Um, and we, they, can, they can never say to us, you lost contact with that because we've maintained that contact and we maintain it in language as well. So as far as possible, we try to use language like one of the grasses here that we turn into flour for bread, um, we call mamaja nanok. And people say, oh, you've got to tell us what that is. And we say, we just did. We, we told you it was mamaja nanok. Um, you know, we had to learn all your names for these things. Now, you know, maybe it's your turn to learn our name. And because that's where our copyright is too. Um, I know Miklo has done so much work on language and knows all this in, inside out, but um, we have to maintain our right to, to language and um, not have it taken away from us uh, just because non-Aboriginal people like the sound of it. Um, so um, that's what we're doing down here. You know, we've had terrific weather right up until today. And today it's blooming cold and raining. Um, but then, you know, the, the plants we're weeding today in our gardens. So to have a bit of rain on top of the fresh soil is um, is good for good for the mother. Um, so I'm just proud to be active in my culture. I'm proud to be asked to be active in the culture. And um, I just Proud to be working with these mob out here. Your turn. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess a bit of history about me is um, mm -hmm. I'm a proud Gumbangi and Bunjalung woman. Um, I grew up with many strong uh, Gumbangi and Bunjalung men and women leading the way for us, paving the way um, and continuing the legacy that they were left. Um, so, you know, and the work that I've done in my um, work life uh, and everyday life. I hope that I'm doing them proud and doing their, their legacy justice. Um, I guess the vehicle that um, I've worked through just with respect to healing country and caring for country is the Land Rights Act. Um, and, um, you know, I work for the Land Council, but it's, um, it wasn't a, a, about getting a career with the Land Council. It was about the cultural responsibility that I had to do that was um, I was instructed to do and, and handed to do by my parents, uh, my grandparents and elders and leaders in the community from Gumbangi and Bunjalung, um, both nations. So, um, you know, I guess what that transpires to in everyday practical terms, um, you know, we get to do things like 
protecting um, critically endangered species, um, protecting endangered um, uh, fauna as well, uh, flora. Um, so, um, you know, negotiating and brokering with um, local government, state government, affecting change in legislation wherever we can, creating um, models that other communities can use if they choose to, um, that gets embedded within structures. Um, and, you know, that's the, we use that vehicle, the Land Rights Act, to do all those different things. Um, we're, we're doing a bit of seed banking at the moment. We've, we've sort of created a little junior ranger group, um, and that's Guri kids and non-Guri kids. Um, so they're all learning together. Um, language is a part of that. Uh, stories, song and dance, uh, painting or art. So it's all, you know, it's, it's all intrinsically linked together. Um, and just sort of getting a bit of a, a, a wider education um, to the general public about who we are as Guri people um, in the Tweed and why we do what we do, why we need to do um, what we do because of our cultural responsibility. We can't escape that. We can't walk away from that. Um, and that's what we try to, to teach them so they can understand. And then those people, um, for example, with local government, um, they can try and utilise that and use their skills with planning laws and things like that. How do they embed that, embed that within those um, <coughs> different systems that helps us in the long run protect our cultural assets? Um, I've been um, on different boards in our local Guru community. We've got um, we've got quite a few Guru organisations here in the Tweed. Um, and together we're, we're, we're a bit of a powerhouse when we go in and broker deals on behalf of the Tweed Guru community. So um, I'm very proud of all our Guru organisations and, and how we work together uh, to make those things come to life. Um, a quick example of that is um, with our local Tweed Shire Council. Um, we, create, we did our cultural mapping project of the Tweed. And from that, we then, um, I guess, negotiated an Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Management Plan that tells you how to use the mapping, um, but also captures the, the OEH legislation, um, our cultural rights to protecting those things and our cultural responsibility. It, it captures that all in this one document, um, which is a bit of a roadmap as to how we work with council to better protect our cultural and heritage. So cultural and heritage in the Tweed now is forever changed. The way they deal with it um, on an everyday basis is forever changed because of the work our community did in that space. And that was a 30-year journey. We had to create the relationship over that 30 years. Because um, as you could imagine, back in the 80s and preceding that, um, the relationship with local government was non-existent with our local Aboriginal community. So, we had to forge that relationship and work really hard, um, demand a seat at the table, um, first and foremost, because our old fella said, get in there and get a seat at the table. Um, and um, yeah, we've got a fruitful relationship now. Council comes to um, the Land Council and our other organisations um, with, with all matters relating to um, um, the Guru community. Um, that's pretty much me. Thanks. So our... Last person to introduce herself is um, Auntie Robin Bancroft. And as you can see in the background, there's a photograph of up in the upper Clarence River uh, in near a place called Column Column. 
that's what the photograph is. And, and me and Annie Robin have a strong connection to this area of the country. Um, and that and and so honey robin hello everyone uh i'm babani robin oh, yeah. i'm a elder of the first nations a guri woman and i'm a bunjalung and uh gumbanga descent i come my traditional country is a place called Lionsville which is in the Washpool area. And it's about 10 kilometers from a place called Bayugal, where I first went to school many years ago. And uh, my interest has always been education, education for the kids, education for anyone who's interested in what Guri history is about. And that's why I support this truth telling. I get very frustrated and a little upset about all the wrong stories that are out there. So the truth telling, especially in our area here on the Northeast coast is very important. It's very important that the younger generation know about the history of their grandparents, their parents, their aunties and uncles of the Guri people that lived in this country, of the trials and tribulations they went through so that these children at school, they're there because of what um, the elders went through. It wasn't a magic wand waved by some magic fairy. It was a lot of hard work to get to have the education sometimes our kiddies take for granted. So um, when we talk about truth telling, we have to talk about the history of the area. And uh, I, I speak to the school kids about the history of our area. And it's not a good history, but it has to be told. We can't hide it anymore. We can't hide the massacres that happen. Uh, we can't hide what squatters did, the murders, and we can't hide uh, dreadful, dreadful stuff that happened. Once that's known, we can move on. We can't move on while people are denying that these things ever happen, while educators are saying, oh, no, that couldn't have happened, you know my grandfather wouldn't have been involved in that or my great grandfather. I'm not saying that the people of today are responsible for what their great grandfathers did, what they but I'm saying they have to be aware of it. They have to know the history of their area. They have to know about their sites. They have to know about their culture. They have to get back to country. They have to do the healing of country and land and sites. And they can do this through being taught by the elders where these things are and the correct stories. This is my belief. As you can see, maybe, I don't know, 
but there's a map of Aboriginal Australia behind me. I uh, worked on that for a number of years in Canberra with David Horton, who published this, and he published also the Encyclopedia of Aboriginal Australia, of which I did research on. And that was hopefully to get information out into the schools and into the, mainly into the schools. And the Encyclopedia of Aboriginal Australia had two, at least 2,000 entries, which is pretty amazing considering encyclopedias before that, we only had a paragraph or two and it was always negative. So we now have or have positive stuff. I mean, it's due for an update, um, but you know how government is, uh, they don't get around to doing that. So I, I was very privileged to work on the encyclopedia and the map of Aboriginal Australia. And that's a few decades ago. All of these things must be updated, especially now that we're coming into the truth telling, uh, what have you. I'd really like to see, and I do a lot of time talking about history, history, history to school kids and to teachers. You, you'd be surprised how many teachers know next to nothing about Aboriginal history. It is very, very frustrating. And these are the people who are teaching our gory kids. You know, We want them to be proud of who they are and what they're doing and what their ancestors did. And we want them to know that everything wasn't all good and happy. And then we can move on. It's just truth telling to me very important and everyone has to be aware of that because until we do that we can't heal the country we've got the spirituality we've got everything to do with country it's all country and in my area um, up at Lionsville in the Washbull there in the 1870s we had two gold fields formed on, on my traditional Granny's country. Now that mining is becoming an issue again. There's a lot of exploration going on around them, and there has been for a while. So there's always something there that you think you're taking two steps forward and it's all, yes, you get held up. Uh, so, the mining's going to be a big future issue with the land and the water, the whole of country. Anyway, sorry I'm getting carried away here, but uh, yes, it's very important. Thank you, folks. Thanks, Aunt. Yeah, that's the the mining something I want to raise. I I worked for a mining company called Normandy Mining many years ago, and um, this was pre-Marbo and I was a senior management manager within that organisation. But last year they had the destruction of Duke and Gorge, which is a major site up in um, the Pilbara region. And when I saw the company Rio Tinto give their response, early response to that destruction, 
which they said that um, their um, the people involved were going to lose their bonuses for that year, and that was the penalty they were going to achieve. I got pretty angry about that, and so. I rang around my networks of people that I worked in the industry with, and these are non-Indigenous people as well, and they were pretty angry about it as well. And I said, well, I think we have to think about this and, um, and that. And so what we agreed to do as a group was we um, approached um, a major financial international company called Credit Suisse and they organized a webinar for us and they brought in people who were funds managers from Europe, from UK, from the US, from around Australia and we had the opportunity to speak to those group of people and what I said to them at the start because I was facilitating um, that um, well leading that discussion I said well the first thing I'd like to ask you is do you know in Australia and around the world what you have lost by that destruction you know over 40,000 years of connection and then in some areas of Australia, mining's gonna happen from 50 to 100 years. So do all Aboriginal people have to look forward to is the destruction of our culture, our sites, um, limited financial return for this development and capacity building and, and all those other things. There are examples of how things have worked a lot better overseas but in Australia, that's not happening. And we as a group have feel that Australian major companies have gone backwards in the way they approach this whole question. And then the last thing I put on them was, hey, is this what you're funding? Funding as the people who fund the, the uh, projects or the shareholders of these companies because as major institutions, you own shares in these companies. So is this what you are agreeing to, this, this destruction, especially of our major sites? So I suppose what I've decided to do is position myself as, and, and get the support of other people who have influence in the industry to start asking the financiers to have more social and environmental um, thinking around the way they're conducting their businesses. And that. so I suppose that's where, where I've looked at, you know, this, this because, you know, you don't have to mine everywhere. There are areas where you can, but there are areas that, um, are so sacred or are, have an environmental um, thing and and money doesn't mean anything to those areas. So that's that's the sort of charge. And I said that we as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are not going to put up with this anymore. It's time that 
you, the financiers, also listen to us and implement those changes. Mm. So that, that's been my major um, passion um, towards that. So um, we might follow up some other comments. Uh, Des, would you like to add any more? Some of the areas that uh, that I've looked at are, uh, in in the sites work is um, is language. The spirit people who come from the area where you are and where the sites are, they they know their language. And if you if you can speak the language from that area or have an interpreter there, it helps you um, get a welcome from the spirit people from that country. And if you don't have that, uh, you're on the outer and it makes your work difficult. Um, but one, uh, there's a story I'd like to tell. I, uh, I mean, Neville and I were out, uh, out in the country here looking at a site and he was a terrible man for collecting plants and bringing them home. And uh, we were on the way back from this site and he was struggling with this little fern that was growing in the middle of this little creek. And it was like the fern was hanging onto the, the rock that, he, <laughs> that it was sitting on. And he couldn't get, he couldn't get the plant off it. Anyway, we, me and his son, we kept on walking up the track and we waited about 100 metres up the track and uh, he gave a log and said, uh, look what I got. And uh, I said, did you ask that old bloke down there if you could take that plant? And uh, he said, no. I said, you better go back down there to the creek and ask that old fellow if you could take this plant. And when he, when he got down there, it was like, he said, it felt like someone hit him up the side of their head with a piece of 4 me too. And, uh, and <clears throat> when he came back to us, and, and uh, I said, where's the plan? He said, I left it there. <laughs> I said, you know why that happened? When, we, uh, when we're born, we're born with a, an animal totem or an insect totem. We're also born with a a uh, a plant totem, and that totem belonged to that old fellow down there. And uh, you should have asked permission. He said, "I wish you'd have told me that before I pulled it out." <laughs> but you know, it's those things that uh, they're colourful things, and they make sites work exciting to me, anyway. Um, but just there's so much interest around New South Wales and around Australia uh, with sites work. And because I've been in, into it so long, um, a lot of people, uh, the TV Island people like, like to talk to me about sites work and, and the, the spirit side that goes with it. It's, it's an exciting topic for me and it, it'll, go on being exciting for me because 
new things prop up every time every time you find a new site and you um, delve into what created that site and the, the mindset of the old old people when they when they established that particular site um, that's that's extremely interesting and that's that's what uh, interests me even with my my good mate from down at Tasmania Rodney Dillon he, we uh, we go into talking about uh, the different different sites that are down there as well as up home here. Um, he spoke to me about flying out to the western side of Tasmania and, and looking at some massive middens out there. And uh, when I go down to visit him again, I'll I'll take a trip out there myself just to have a look at those sites. Uh, He's, he's got a cultural tie to Bruny Island down there, and I found a couple of uh, burial places on Bruny that I had to tell him about. Um, he was quite interested in that. But I, um, I have a particular system that, that allows me to look onto a map and find an Aboriginal site on the map and from that, uh, myself and, and the team that's here with the, with the Tweed Bar and local Aboriginal Land Council, we go out and physically walk over that particular site and uh, map it out. It's, it's led to us discovering a, a hell of a lot of sites up here. Uh, when we started doing this sites work and, and mapping, national parks had about 300, uh, 300 sites on their old AHIMS mapping program. And we've, we've this is just in our land council area here on the Tweed. We've now got, uh, oh, well over 600 sites here. And the national parks has to, they have to come to us to update their AHIMS sites. Uh, which is, it makes us feel uh, a sense of power, really, in the eyes of you know, the local people, where as we build up our sites um, numbers, it, uh, it empowers the local people from up here on the Tweed, um, where we're doing it. And, our mapping program has spread to uh, to Ballin, the Ballinashire Council, um, part of the Clarence, the Lower Clarence, um, Kyogle. It's uh, it's gradually taking over the, the the particular program of mapping sites, and and Coffs Harbour, uh, young Mark. Flanders, who's passed away recently, he did a, a mapping exercise down there for the Shire Council in Costa. Uh, so it's it's gradually spreading this uh, mapping program, and uh, as Luana mentioned, it's uh, informing our relationship with the local Shire Council here. It's led led us in our relationship 
to such an extent that uh, they, when a developer comes into the area and they map out a particular area for their development, the Shire Council tells them to come to our local, uh, local uh, Aboriginal Land Council first and, and get the nod from us uh, in relation to uh, in relationship to sites on their particular um, area that they want to develop. In the past, before we had this relationship with the Shire Council, we had to uh, wait until all of that stuff was seen to in the DA, and it was like an add-on. Oh, you better go and talk to the Aboriginal people uh, about their sites. And they, instead of doing that, they'd go to the AHIMS map, which was uh, lacking in so many areas, and they'd say, oh, there's According to the National Parks map here, there's no sites on this area. Oh. So we can go and develop it. Wrong. It, wrong. And it's uh, it's proven to the uh, Shire Council that, uh, and to the, to the developers that they must come to us first. Otherwise, you know, they, they'll, they'll proceed with their DA uh, and their development. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of their development, there's a sacred soil. And they have to stop work. And it costs them a lot of money when they have to stop work. So we said, you know, best you come to us first. So, Uncle Micklow, I mean, I've been down here in Cox Harbour for about six years now. And, um, and you know, my great grandfather's Gumbanga. And that, but this, the work that's been done around language down here is just, um, you know, has just taken off, you know, from the sort of work that's done with the kids at kindergarten through to, do, do you want to talk a bit more about sort of some of the work that's being done down in this region? Yeah, um, you know, uh, when I'm learning back, going back learning through uh, the culture again and the language, you find out a lot of stuff, you know, that's been uh, uh, archived and stuff from the IATSAs and other places like, you know, and once you bring all that information to a place like Murabai Language Centre, then you start, uh, when you're passionate about it and you start learning and learning more about uh, your language and your culture, you know, to go back and 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 find out how Gumbangir people cared for country, you know, that was amazing. You know about totemism, about uh, increased sites, about the sites of 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 the uh, of the uh, of the people, you know, and what that meant to Aboriginal people, Gumbangir people, you know, and and how they looked after everything, you know, and and the the food restrictions at different ages of your life, the totemism that you cannot go out and kill your uh, a totem and eat it. The ceremonies that happened in this land. So all this stuff that you have to, uh, we have to relearn and, uh, and and get the knowledge back again, is amazing for me because I, I did not know anything like this for 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 ages. But now that I know, and now that I'm in a position to uh, 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 train Indigenous people 
what I know and what Murabai knows and what other Aboriginal elders here know, to take that into the schools as a program, a language program, and say, this is the way Aboriginal Goombanga people looked after the country before. This is sacred sites. You know, and we tell these people, you know, that you cannot uh, go out to the, uh, anywhere on the country. You take a rock, it was against the, it was against, it was against the law to take a rock. But we, we have to now, when, so that's, that's cultural stuff. But now we are living in a, in, in a world that we cared for a country for over thousands and thousands of years. Now, just over 200 and something years, the land has been devastated by mining, by the material that have we been putting into our, uh, our country and um, like things like the plastics. You know, this plastic. So how do now that Indigenous people will care for land when all this other stuff has come into our world, you know, like pollution? Uh, so we have to also look now at training and uh, keeping our culture alive and also understanding what's in our environment now that is going to not only harm our, our mother, but also harm the people that are living on the land so we have to look at stuff like that as well you know i can i can go back and say hey this is the way Gumbanga people looked after the land before and this but you know also now training and talking about the the the, the, the now you know with uh, uh the climate change and one way is one way we can help with it with that is to say all right this is how we got to protect our country we have to stop the logging. We have to do, uh, you know, we have to find different ways. We don't stop along. We have to find different ways to, uh, instead of going in and knocking down old growth forests and knocking down forests. So we have to, we have to come to some understanding and some level where they're not going to dis destroy the whole thing. And that's my, that's my goal. And that's my purpose is to tra train Aboriginal people and teach Aboriginal people and so that they go into the schools with this knowledge, armed with this knowledge about uh, cultural, uh, cultural identity, cultural uh, way of living, and also now to uh, look at stuff now. Uncle Bruce, do you want to add to that comment? Yeah, I, I think it's um, really important that our young people participate in looking after Mother Earth. And, um, um, you know, uh, talking about Jukan and things like that, um, I think a lot of Australians actually uh, disagree with the way business has been done in the country. And we need to uh, talk with those people to government about looking, looking after country. But if our, our young people aren't involved, then it will be just another, another dispossession. If we're not involved, how can they look after those sites? You know, it, it's the same here, um, as Des was saying about what parks have got registered as um, uh, cultural sites. And uh, down here during the, the fires, um, it wasn't the fire that destroyed our cultural sites. It was the people with chainsaws afterwards um, who seemed to take a sudden dislike to big trees and uh, just started cutting them down. And yeah. we, we tried to uh, get involved. Now we talked to them about these trees before. Um, some of them 
are, are very important to our culture down here. We're, they're on the song lines where the old people used to camp and they used to camp in these trees and uh, they, were, they were cut down. They didn't burn down, they were, they were cut down. And so it doesn't matter what's on their register. It's a matter of what they've committed to doing about it. These, these trees were on their register and they still cut them down. So that's contempt for our culture. And, you know, we, we have to train up as many young people as we can um, because there's so much work to do. There's so many sites to look after. And, um, you know, I, it, it hurts me to see how, how many trees are, are being knocked, knocked over. Um, and it takes our, takes our culture with it when those trees go missing. So we need our young people very badly. You know, I, I came down here onto this country in 1967 with my uncle and he talked me uh, through this country all the way. And um, unfortunately, a lot of things are gone. But look, I don't like to talk about loss. I like, like to talk about what we can get back. And I, I want, for the sake of our young people, we have to be positive all the time. If we keep on talking about loss, then they feel that loss and they must, uh, must feel like they can do something positively they can actually make a, a, a difference. And I see it. I'm, I'm seeing it out here now. Um, I'm seeing a, a difference made. And just engaging with the old people's plants in the old people's way is a way of in, inspiring young people to look after country. And, um, um, you know, there are very many disappointing times, but we, um, we can't afford to give up. Thank you. Uh, Rod, can I add to that? Yep. Yes. Um, a lot of people think that when a, a sacred tree is cut down or falls over, that's the end of it. But the, the power that uh, comes from ceremony that the old people put into that tree or that area stays there forever. And if a house in the future, if a house is built on that site, the Aboriginal people uh, are fully affected by the spirits that belong to that particular tree or that area. And they're either, uh, they're either punished or they're, they're pushed off that site because of because they can't live there. But uh, even though the, the house might be built there without their, their knowledge, and that, that place uh, was supposedly destroyed about 100 years ago or 50 years ago, the, the power that belongs to that site is still there and, and remains there. And uh, you're right, Bruce. The, when the fires go through a particular forest, especially state forest or national park, the cowboys come in with their bulldozers and they, uh, they bulldoze a fire break through there without consulting the, the local people. Mm. And uh, as a result, uh, as Bruce said, uh, 
old growth trees are destroyed. And, the, and part of the power that comes from that and comes over to us is destroyed. No, it's something we've got to stop. So we seem to be um, getting a reasonable amount of questions around heritage and that, but that's an area you worked in, in um, Annie Robin, with um, when you worked for forestry and that. So, yes. Well, how did how did you undertake your work, and and was it difficult trying to implement things when you worked for? those agencies? Yes, it's always difficult working for any government agency, any government agency. But my job and uh, another fellow, Richard Kelly, our job was to go out into the forest and look for Aboriginal sites so that we could put protection barriers around them, um, you know, when the other guys came in and did their bit. That was our job and it was a full on job because we worked from uh, Maxville up to the border, Laninus, Tenterfield, and there were only two of us in that area. It was quite difficult, but um, thanks to the guy I was working with, he was very firm, firm with the department and uh, certain things, would take them on, didn't get us any kudos, of course, we weren't like that much. But nevertheless, we saw our role as looking in the forest for Aboriginal sites that we were told about or that were recorded or that they were mentioned years ago by old white fellows and also old Guri fellows. So that kept us pretty busy. It was a full-on job. We should have had a team of half a dozen minimum to go and do that so, so we could do it more effectively. I believe there's hundreds of sites there. One day, um, people, our mob, our Guru mob will go into parks, national parks. I believe that they've got hundreds of sites in there that haven't even been touched or looked at. We've got lots of things there in culture heritage that we have to uh, look further into. And it's uh, getting the young ones to go and do that. This is why education is so important, to get our young ones to do field work out there uh, when they go through the education system we have so many of them wanting to become doctors and lawyers. You know, I'd really like them to get back to the community and do something in the community um, and help the elders in the community uh, while the elders talk to them and tell them what's in the community, the stories that the elders heard about things in the community. Very important. And... Um, that's why I did my agriculture degree, my archaeology degree at ANU. And at that time, there were only late 80s, only five of us Aboriginal people from different parts of the country doing archaeology then. And it was, wasn't easy, I tell you. And it hasn't been easy to today even. 
to get in there and start talking about cultural heritage and the importance of cultural sites. So there's so much out there still to be done. And I don't think people realise how much is put on Guri, on First Nations people. You know, we've got all these other things going on to heal the country. We've, we've got health, we've got deaths and custody, we've got education, we've got spiritual stuff. It's just we're involved in all of it, in the whole of it. We're not just concentrating on one little area. It involves the whole spectrum of things. So um, that's what I think. I'm looking forward to the younger generation coming through and doing more like um, people are doing their expertise on the land. They're taking on the councils. They're taking on government there. People like myself were doing it through cultural heritage sites. Uh, people, Bruce, like yourself, taking taking on people who don't, oh, they, they still fight. It's like um, Aussie Cruz was saying, this fight's been going on for decades and decades to try and get something done. And we went, I'll, I'll just digress here for a moment. We had a conference at um, ANU in Canberra and Ozzy turned up to that and he said, look, we're saying the same things now that I was saying 40 years or more ago. Right? Why are we taking so long to do these things? Hopefully in my grandkids' generations, things will change. Hopefully there'll be more of the kids getting back into doing cultural heritage. Um, you know, we have 400 doctors at the moment or 400 lawyers and the money's good in that. You don't get much money in cultural heritage. You get nothing in archaeology, let me tell you. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's not, you're not in there for the money. You're in there to do things for the community and show them. And my greatest joy was taking the kids out, school kids and the community and the teachers and showing them scar trees and showing them rock shoulders and showing them axe grinding grooves. And they loved that too. But I handed that on to younger people coming through, which is what I really like to do. Education is so important. And truth telling, truth telling to me is so important. We, we won't heal properly until we tell the story of how the land was taken, what was done to the land and all the massacres that happened. That's my part of all of this. Yes, and, and I'm now, I've been retired for a few years, but I'm busier than ever in the <laughs> schools. And I love doing it because I've got to tell you, the kiddies, they are so good and they're so interested. They are interested and I can say to them, well, go and see this person there. Like Tweed, Desi, Luena, they can go to the land council there. Miklo, they can go down to the language centre down there. And as I said, you know, that magic wand wasn't just waved. It was people who fought the good fight for years and years and years mm. to get 
things on the agenda, but it all depends. And I said I wasn't going to mention government, but I will. <laughs> government to me is pretty useless. <laughs> they, they, you know, oh, if I had Especially that magic wand, <laughs> but you know, this one. <laughs> what have they done, really? We've been saying this, and, and for our Uncle Ozzy, he says, I, I get a bit tired saying the same things over and over and over and over. And do they listen? No. And a good example of that is this week, we had the mother death in custody. Millions of dollars went into the Royal Commission into deaths and custody. We as Aboriginal people are not just focused on one thing, we're focused on the whole. That's our life. We're involved in everything. And it's just who we are as Guru people, as First Nations people, as elders, and the examples we hope to set for the younger generation. And we are doing it. But I don't want to be like poor old Uncle Ozzy and another 40 years or so saying, we spoke about this, we, we talked about this, we went to government about this. And what did government do? Nothing. Well, well I shouldn't say nothing. Some things have been done. So I, I'll get off government and I'll listen to uh, you, Rod, because I know that you're very interested in mining and in, in our area, you know, we've got all these mining exploration licenses. What's the next step? Yeah, well, that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? And then we've got all the problems with water. We've got all the farmers there taking access to water. We can't live without the water. And who knows what they're putting into the rivers. Anyway, that's my little say-so, so I'd better be quiet. Okay. <laughs> okay, before I um, go for a comment from the younger generation, Selena. <laughs> um, I'm just going to prepare the um, panel to say that we have a question here which says, um, uh, thanks for our contribution and positive impact on caring for country. But if each could choose one daily practice all Australians could implement to heal country and heal nation, what would that practice be? But I won't, uh, when we do our concluding comments, we might um, touch on that point, but I'll, I'll remind you again before we get there. Now, you've been in the middle of, when you've been in the middle of a lot of these negotiations and, and that around your local area, how are you finding that? And do you think the younger generation are really sort of coming in with you and in, in sort of starting to change the, I suppose, one of the things I noticed, you know, we didn't have a lot of power, you know, when I sort of joined sort of Chamber of Commerce and that, but over time we've started to position ourselves a bit better. And um, I think the negotiation and the way we present ourselves and the power we achieve in that, how, how have you found those sort of areas? Um. I sort of wanted to um, do a bit of a segue into a response to that. Yes, um, yes. You know, when we were growing up, 
we, we always say things like we were um, dragged into our land council meetings, our co-op meetings and all that sort of things. But unbeknownst to us, that was our teaching ground. That was our, our preschool, our high school, our primary school, our university. We watched our old fellas, um, you know, design a plan for, for our community's future and how we're going to carry our culture um, into the future in the strongest um, form possible. Um, and, and I guess from that, you know, for me, that was my learning ground. Um, I, I never went to university or anything like that. I learned all, everything I know from my old fellas and from my community leaders and, and, and um, uh, just the community in general. Um, and that's in the Tweed and Byron Shires. Um, we've had some great leaders um, and, uh, you know, I have to give a shout out to my Gumbangi mob and also our far north coast leaders and community. Um, we're, we're part of a, a 13 land councils which form the far north coast region. And, you know, in, in that group as a, as a youngin, uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, geez, we had some, some powerful, powerful elders leading the way then. Um, and, you know, we, we knew and we still know um, at our at our local Tweed community, our local Byron community, our local you know I'm, I'm Nambucca mob, um, Bucca mob, and far north coast communities that we were in the presence of greatness with our old fellas. Um, we didn't quite know what they were doing, but we knew it was something very powerful for us. They were leaving that legacy for us. So you know so that's something that's really stuck with me that I feel I can't ever escape that responsibility to carry that torch, the next leg of the race. Um, but I guess the way, as I said, you know, we were dragged into meetings and things. Um, and I think that's that's changed a lot because of all the success that the old followers, the, what they paved before, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the younger ones are able to go out and be doctors, be lawyers, be teachers. They can go out to all those fields because the old followers made that path for them. Um, and so I guess we have to look at another way of how do we um, bring them back into learning, if they're not, um, learning the way forward for them to be prepared to take our community and our cultural legacy into the next generation, you know. Um, so that's our responsibility and looking at different tools. We've got all this modern technology. How do we do it with that? Is that the way to do it? Um, I think one thing that the modern technology absolutely lacks is it doesn't give our kids and those that want to learn the cultural context. You can only learn that when you're on country. You can only learn that when you're with our old people and with and amongst our, our community. You can only learn environmental, um, how to take care of country in when it's in environmental context. You need to be out there hands-on, getting your hands dirty and learning this stuff on the ground. You can't learn that. I mean, you can you can learn a little bit about it in the textbook, but how to apply it in real life is a very different thing. Um, that, that's just been my experience. And, you know, that's why we started our little junior rangers program. Um, and so they're learning, you know, when they're out there doing collecting seeds from native species that are, uh, you know, I guess native to that, to say the Fingalhead area or along the coast, they're learning language, they're learning story, they're learning about the people. Um, and they're learning about, you know, we have elders there that are 
um, you know, working with the, the non-gory fellas like Coast Care and things like that, they're working together collaboratively to put that story together for our young kids, creating a model for them to be able to use. But I guess in creating that model, just like we did our cultural heritage plan, it's, it's ensuring that the language that's used in it um, uh, does not lose the cultural integrity of the message. That can't be lost in translation. That's really important. We don't want a watered down version of what we're saying. Uh, we don't want something that um, diminishes or erodes away the cultural integrity of the story or the message that we're trying to get out in those teachings. Um, in my time with the Land Council and just in the community in general, um, I've seen a shift. I've seen, um, you know, from a broader lens, it might look like a very minuscule shift, but uh, from, from, you know, on the ground, they're huge, they're huge shifts. You know, when you can get a local government to sign up an MOU with a number of local Gori organisations to put in place further measures to protect culture and heritage, that's a massive shift, a massive shift. When you have senior planners, when you have councillors at the table that want to support that shift um, and support those changes, so it's captured in legislation, um, policies and procedures, that's a major, major shift. We've done lots of different things around, um, we've just done a recent thing around protecting loggerheads. We just had some, some turtles nest on, on essentially land council land on the Fingal Peninsula. Um, and from that process, um, we, it was a, you know, there's a lot of pe different people involved and we had elders involved and they took the forefront. It was important for them to be there at the, I guess, the face of that story. And so what we did as a result of that was we created a new protocol with national parks and um, the other mob that take care of, um, you know, endangered species. So, you know, it's little things like that. It was, it was a bit of a, um, I guess, a by accident that that actually happened. But, um, you know, we saw a way for us to be able to implement that cultural perspective um, and honour our old people and our country and our stories there around protecting those species. Um, you know, we have international um, bird species that roost down on the Fingal Peninsula. And we've worked very closely with our local government, Tweedshire Council, in protecting those species. And that's from human impact, um, domestic animal impact, um, introduced um, weed species that impact on things like, you know, um, pig face and things, which is a, you know, a food staple of ours. Um, but little things like that. Um, and I think with just having the kids hands on, you know, we do things like we go and pick up microplastics and um, other sorts of rubbish. And the other day we were just, we had a bunch of kids um, doing some weeding. They, they were just hand weeding the mother of millions. Um, you know, which, which strangles the pig face and then we can't eat it because it's, it's dying out. So just little things like that. Everybody can do a little bit of something and that's what we try to tell people. Just get out there on, on wherever you are, your little patch of the world and do whatever you can. Pick up that rubbish, pick up microplastics. Um, you know, keep an eye out for species with, um, I guess with your bird off, off the lead down where there might be um, birds trying to, to rest from a long journey that need to go back to another country. <laughs> um, you know, that's our responsibility to all of that. Um, and, you know, there is a species that's, um, you know, possibly in danger of be becoming extinct. 
And we've sort of thought of a way that we're going to try and plan and map out where we reach out internationally and create an, uh, a cultural international exchange to protect that species because it involves um, places like China um, and things like that. So we're, you know, we're sort of looking at those bigger, broader pictures, but also bringing it back to home about why we do this stuff. Um, and, um, and our responsibility, I keep coming back to that cultural responsibility. Thanks. That's fantastic. What Great to hear. So, so we're gonna um, finish off now. And like I said, um, one, of, one of the questions that's come in is um, if each of us had to choose one daily practice all Australians could implement to heal country or heal nation, what would that practice be? And I might make the first comment. Um, I'd ask you to look at, because we all pay superannuation, you know, where's your superannuation money? What, what is your superannuation group investing in? You know, is it investing in those big miners that are doing the destruction out there? Or is it, a, it, is, is it investing in major corporations that are taking no notice of, um, of um, climate change or environment or social issues or because, you know, there's a whole range and those investors have a big influence on the way companies conduct themselves or even nations conduct themselves. So um, my, my thing is if you do want to um, implement something to heal country or heal nation, um, um, that could be one aspect to do. Um, look at where your actual investment or your savings is actually working. And also, uh, Rod, we've got to look at our own mob, you know. We're a very diverse group of people. And as we all know, what's applicable over there is not applicable over here or something. But we all have this feeling for land. And then this should go back to you, Des. I believe that the regional land council, I don't know, I've heard the one in Sydney, the big one, it's got all this money, millions of dollars. That should be going back to the land councils. I, this is my personal point of view. So the land councils can do these things like cultural heritage and Luena, what you were talking about. And uh, I believe, I don't know, maybe Bruce, you're down there closer than what we are, that they sold the uh, land council office at Parramatta Anyway, the big building. Is mm. that right, Des? I'm not sure. We're well, going to check that out. Yeah. Well, anyway, if we get a bit of land, we hold on to it. We should, in my opinion, we should hold on to it. And I'm pleased to hear that you've got such a good working relationship there with uh, your other organisations, your non-Guri organisations. If we could have that all around the North Coast with our land, uh, with our councils, you know, mm. we'd, do, we'd do really good. So what do they say to me? They say, oh, we've got an Aboriginal person employed. Well, big deal, you know. <laughs> you need more than having an Aboriginal mm. person employed. There's a lot more to be done. Mm. And, um, yeah. 
we're getting tired. We elders getting tired. So to hear what you were saying, Lorena, is fantastic. Keep up the good work. So has anyone got any daily practices that all Australians could implement? Could, could I jump in? Yep. Um, I think um, asking them to reevaluate, they look at us as Aboriginal people and our culture and heritage to change the value system, the way they value it, because um, that's obviously, um, you know, right up to the top level, uh, obviously with that destruction of that, um, of the rock cave is critical in the way that they don't value our culture and heritage and in turn us as Aboriginal people. So I would ask everybody that's listening, have, have a think about how you value us as Aboriginal people and um, our culture, our systems, um, what we're trying to protect. Um, and do that little bit, you know, go and clean up the place. Challenge places like um, the Australian Archaeological Association, how they teach Aboriginal culture and heritage. Challenge those things. Um, challenge the things that, that you spoke about, Rod. Ask about your superannuation. Anything that's impacting on um, us as Guri people um, in very day, our practical appliance of our culture and heritage, um, which is affected by all those things, just ask people to, to have a, have a re-evaluation of that and have a look at how we are treated um, in legislation, how we're written about in legislation and policies and procedures, because that all needs to, all needs to change as well. Uncle Micklow. What I'd say is for all, everybody, who are we talking about now? Well, if you, <laughs> one daily practice people. all Australians could implement to heal country or Aboriginal, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. Yes. Everybody. Yes. Learn something about your place where you are and who the people lived on that place before. Exactly. Learn one thing or something small every day about mm. the Indigenous people who lived on that land where you're living right now. Good one. Uncle Bruce? Uh, look, I, I go back to what Robin said earlier um, about truth-telling. You know, I'd, I'd love people to have a close look at their land and develop a, a closer relationship with the land I'd like them to greet grandfather son. We say grandfather son down here. I know others see the other side of, of that um, coin, but, um, but before you get involved in ceremony or anything like that, you, you have to acknowledge, you don't have to cry about it. You don't have to feel guilty about it or say sorry about it, but you have to acknowledge the history of the country and and until you do that there's nothing can be done if you're just wanting to do something to make yourself feel better nothing will get done mm -hmm. no the, the history of the country has to be acknowledged then we can move on and this is my frustration is a lot of people seem very satisfied with the history as it's described in our schools and universities and I, I think it's disgraceful that um, in 2021, we can still be teaching basically the same thing as in the past. You know, there, 
I know there are changes. I know there are good teachers. I know there are, are good schools. So I must be going to the wrong ones. Yes. Uncle Des. A couple of things. Um, I, don't, I don't usually take part in native title claims. Um, and one of the main reasons for that is that I live or practice in the uh, Local Aboriginal Land Council Act, but the act that governs all land councils in New South Wales. And it knocks heads with the uh, native title people, even though they, the, the members are pretty well the same. Those people who are taking part in the native title claim are invariably members of the local land councils. But the idea of a native title claim tends to pull them away from the uh, State Land Council Act. If we can, if we can shake hands with those people and bring their understanding of their native title claim into a closer relationship with the with the land councils of the area, then um, it would be an enjoyable place to live. Uh, there are quite a number of people like me that that uh, the land council act is paramount, and we tend to shy away from the native title act. Um, there's no reason why we can't shake hands and become closer bodies. Um, the other other thing that I want to, I would like to see happen is for non-Aboriginal people to get a, a better understanding of ownership. The uh, European um, idea of ownership is totally different from ours in that we belong to the country. The country doesn't belong to us, we belong to that country. And what what puts us in that country is our language. The language, the language uh, fortifies our position with the country. Um, ownership in, in the European uh, arena, if you like, is totally different from that. And non-Aboriginal people tend to believe that uh, Australia belongs to them and their laws superimpose uh, what our laws are and their laws take precedence over ours. And especially in the, in the uh, ownership area, ownership of country, ownership of land. If, if non-Aboriginal people could get a better idea of what we understand as ownership, then we'd, we'd have a closer understanding with one another. Uh, I'd, I'd like to thank uh, Jinda, Robin, because not enough Aboriginal people study archaeology. It's a very important 
career or line of study. And uh, thank you, Robin, for thank you. your work in that area. Mm. Could I, I just say, uh, Rod, I'm not a good supporter of native title at all. <laughs> <laughs> because once upon a time, you know, we in the community would look after one another and one another and one another, and now it's you're doing this and you're doing that, and no, it's us. And so, you know, as I mentioned before, great diversity, little family groups running little areas, and that puts a hold, a stop on us going forward. Uh, and trying to do things for the community. Yes. Our, our community, um, Rod, as you know, is going through struggling stages with native title. Yes. Mm. How can you have, you know, 11 applicant bodies on one little bit of native title land? 11 applicants. So every time you have a yeah. meeting, You've got to go through all the 11 people and then you've got to have your quorum. We are becoming so white orientated. Sorry for butting in, but it's almost like that legislation was designed to tear us apart. Yes. Um, I've, seen, I've seen brothers fight each other, sisters fight each other. It's, it's terrible what that legislation requires. It requires you to fight. It doesn't require you to reach out a hand. It, I, I think it's a terrible bit of legislation. And, you know, like you, Des, the, the community that I belong to refuses to have anything to do with it because it's so divisive. Okay, so we've come to an end, I, um, end to this webinar. I'd like to thank for everyone's contribution. And, you know, this is um, part of um, teaching and sharing our knowledge with our students and then the other people who have joined in, like I see on the list there, there's 133 people that come in and there'll be others that will come in and, and join the, um, uh, come in and listen to the recording and that. So thank you to everyone and we might um, call it to an end now, Brendan. Before I go, thanks, Des. Thanks, Louina. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks, Rod. Thank you very much. Yari, 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 Yari,